Good morning, people. I got uh, Brother Patch with me this morning, and we're doing a live here. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Brother Patch, who are not a part of Empower, um, we operate there and with Sister Jenny in the prayer calls there. And uh, he's a dear brother, dear friend of mine, dear brother in Christ, and like a spiritual father, uh, has great knowledge of the word. And we're just coming to you this morning to bless you and encourage you. Um and see where God wants to take us. Go ahead and say hi. <coughs> Go ahead and say hi, Brother Patch. Hi, Brother Patch. <laughs> yeah, so uh, maybe we'll... We'll get into your story about um, some share some of your testimony, Brother Patch, and how God's impact your life because you've got an an amazing testimony and a really cool background to having uh, having God lead you through um, the biker world and being a part of uh, uh, biker gangs and affiliations like that, but then going hard after God in the midst of it, and it doesn't look like anything in your normal quote unquote church <laughs> not not actually uh, probably if you want me to go that uh, to cover that stuff um best thing i can do is uh, give a testimony of pastor jr canfield uh and he was a pastor at a mercy four square uh operation in el paso uh this is a long time i've been i've been a believer now for before then, probably 30-some years by this time. And so <clears throat> I was running around in El Paso to some of the runs uh, and meeting the other bikers and going on their different charity benefits and different stuff. And I, and I ran into JR, <coughs> and uh, he was riding with what's called an MM. That's a motorcycle ministry not an MC, which is a motorcycle club. And in the biker world, that is a big difference. MCs are everything from one percenters down to, you know, just people that are riding for a hobby. Uh, but one percenters are the outlaws. They're the self-declared outlaws, but they're not like a lot of people see them portrayed on television. There's really maybe four, I would say 4% of the one percenters are really um, serious. I mean, you know, gun runners and dope dealers and stuff like that. But the other ones that aren't part of the 4% don't want anybody to think that they aren't. So you just never know. So when you're ministering to guys like that, you just have to do a lot of waiting. It takes a lot of time. And so JR came up and he said he heard me basically doing my elevator speech to a biker, which is about 90 seconds. And I basically asked him, I say, hey, bro, my name is such and such. You shake your hand. You uh, comment something on their bike or whatever. And then they know that you're sitting. The most common one is when you're up to a fuel island and you're both filling up. So you got just a little bit of time. And you make a compliment. And then I'll say something like, Hey man, have you ever been down? It means have you ever had an accident where you've been off of the bike and on the on the pavement somewhere? And um, they'll say yes or no. If they say no, then I'll come back and say, yeah, but I bet you you got a brother that's been down. And ninety percent of the time, yeah. Yeah, and so brothers, so that's in the biker world, uh, you've been down before. What explain that a little more so people understand? Um, it's a long time ago. Um, I came, I was coming down the street. It was later at night. Um, there was just these uh, really weak street lights. There was a little Volkswagen bug and it was sitting in the middle of the lane and uh, it had very, very dim lights. Well, it was an old VW that was an old, one of those old uh, dynamo or uh, generator kind. So unless the engine was revved up, the lights weren't that bright. So it sat there and sat there and I was approaching him and I slowed down, slow down, slow down. And here, well, he's either stalled or he's do, doing something. This was before people had cell phones or any of that. So 
I started to pull out around him and sure as the world, he turned into the driveway uh, on the other side of the street and put me up in the, in the, neighbor's, um, the neighbor's front yard. And it wasn't a terrible accident, but it could have been. Uh, and whenever that happens, you know, you have an adrenaline rush and whatnot. Sure. So I, and so when you when you talk about going down and when you say to your brothers, you know, have you been down before? That's talking about crashing your motorcycle, right? And in some yep. uh, situation. Yep, that's that's what it means. And, you know, everybody's a little bit different. Some of the wrecks are pretty gross. Um, I was also part of a, an outfit called the Brasenio Fallen Bikers Foundation that we put up to help uh, the, the riders who had been down and their families to soften the blow. Because when you go down on a bike, insurance never pays on time. Insurance never covers everything. Uh, in fact, sometimes they hardly cover anything. Uh, they have so many exclusions. And so what, uh, one of the ways that I really got to be good friends with JR is when a biker goes down, uh, there's a lot of times there's nobody that even knows they've been down for a while, but they end up in the hospital and they get out of the emergency and they put them in intensive care or they put them in a regular ward, okay? And that guy can lay there for a day, a day and a half before his family even shows up because they're pretty fussy about uh, visiting hours. And especially they don't like uh, biker looking, those icky biker people. They would rather that we didn't come up there to visit anyway. Yeah. But so we, we, we would go in, I would run into JR ever so often going to visit a biker that's been down. And my whole purpose in being there was to um, see what we could do. If he had family, if he didn't, if he had a house payment, if he had a job, um, you know, different stuff. And we would try to pass the hat around to get enough money together to keep uh, his biggest bill from going in arrears while he was laying there with tubes in him. Yeah, so explain the context of that, Brother Patch, who JR is, and then how you came up with that uh, within the biker world um, through having, you know, how the church got set up there and how God had you disciple guys and uh, that whole aspect of when you go down and out, most people aren't there for you, you're pretty much like left on your own. That's, that's the sad truth. Most riders don't have resources. And so JR was a pastor of a regular conventional uh, congregation. Uh, it was a big church as far as physical size. It was a big church building. I should correct myself. And there was, I don't know, the congregation was maybe a hundred people, somewhere around in there. And um, so JR met me here and there, like we just described it one day, he invited me to come to service. So I said, okay, so that, that's how it started. And to fast forward, what, what happened was he, when he found out that I was able to invite other bikers that were not believers and they would come to the church with me because they had somebody to come with, they would have never darkened the door of that building by themselves. Wow, that's awesome. So bikers that weren't saved, they'd be willing to come to JR's congregation and come to the church because you you would invite them and you'd take them there and they'd they'd come. Right. And and I would introduce them to around because not everybody was, you know, um a stick butt uh in the congregation. There were some old veterans there, there were some riders that could not ride anymore. Okay, there was several of those. So I'd introduce them around. And before you know it, you know, we had uh, average anywhere from six to, to a dozen, about half a dozen to a dozen riders that would show up for service. Wow. And wow. then JR started to get interested more as um, a pastor to ministering to them. And so he got a motorcycle. <laughs> That's awesome. And so, you know, he wanted me to show him the ropes and this and that. And so I took him out into the biker world and I introduced him around and he started showing up to uh, the events and uh, El Paso had a very unique thing in biker world that I've never seen any place else on earth. 
and that's how okay. that's this. That's well, they, they they have a truce. They have a, a an organization called the Motor the El Paso Motorcycle Coalition, and those guys are all enemies and rivals. I mean, they're like when they're out on the street. Another uh, patch. With that. Sorry, was that in El Paso, Texas? You were talking. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so they have this unique thing where 40 different patches, 40 different clubs, organizations, whatever, we get together once a month at this uh, Mulligan's North is a pub, and they'd all meet there, and they would have an agenda, and everybody would get noticed, and every organization or club was expected to be part of this group. They were expected to send at least two representatives from their patch each one of these meetings and then we would discuss things like okay we're going to do a run next week down um, in the valley and we're going to do a picnic at this park well a lot of places didn't in those days welcome bikers and so sometimes venues to have picnics at the end of your run where it was a competitive thing there there were different clubs that would have liked to you know use the park and but if they're enemies you can't put two enemies together in a barbecue situation because you're going to have problems. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened was they started cooperating. They started, um, you know, we're going to do this run. And then they had a yearly calendar. After Christmas, they would have a get together and all of the clubs would be there and they would plan out a calendar for all the known clubs and all the known organizations. And so JR um, started, um, learning about all this stuff as a clergyman, which was pretty interesting. Yep. And long yeah. story short, he became a prospect for an outfit called the Seed of Abraham MC, which is one of the most rare Christian actual MC motorcycle clubs. It's not an MM. Wow. So it's where were they based out of? They, they are recognized all over the country as a true one percenter, Nobody doubts their credentials. Nobody gives them any grief. And they, the big currency in that world is respect. So JR became a prospect. He passed through his prospecting uh, time, and they patched him in as a full-patched writer. Wow. And eventually, wow. the way things worked out, he ended up becoming the national president for Seed of Abraham MC. Wow. So his wife became uh, the, one of the leaders in the Daughters of Abraham. For the women, uh, they had uh, kind of an auxiliary. And so the thing that's remarkable about all this, bro, is that you had clergymen who didn't know from nothing. And pretty soon, he applied himself. He learned what all, the, all of the protocols were. And he ministered to people that I couldn't even. Yeah, so he was able to reach at that at that platform that God placed him in. I bet you he was able to reach a lot of lost people, right? Well, not a lot, but I'll tell you what: the hard nut, the hard nuts to crack, the hard case people. The I call them throwaway people. The the great society. Uh, most of the bikers have checked out of the regular society because they're sick of the crap and they get the great society rejects them in, in return. So it's kind of like a mutual animosity, right? Right. And so what JR would do is he would just minister to them with friendship and evangelism. We would go on runs together. Uh, he would help whoever at any time. I don't care if a biker broke down, he would step out, pull out of the queue out of the run, forget about the charitable event, and he would make sure that guy got his shift lever or got a flat tire fixed or whatever it was, and just gave him a card. And it was not a big thing. It was just uh, Pastor J.R. Camfield, Seat of Abraham MC, phone number. If you have, ever have a need, call 24-7. Here's the number. That's it. My card to this day for the club that I'm with is um, the same kind of card. It says on the front, it has empty tomb riders are patch. It has my name and my phone number. You flip over the back side and it says 
we're looking for a few good men, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, and a couple of lines. And they can write in their number or whatever they want. And if, if they need something, they can call and get prayer. They can get, you know, my old lady ran off with my partner and they took all the money and, you know, what do I do kind of thing. Or a lot of times what we'll have is a guy like that goes, goes postal or almost and a brother of his will know that he's in trouble and about ready to blow up. And he'll get a hold of us and say, hey, come with me. We got to go see what uh, Jake is doing because his old lady just ran off with his partner in his business and they took all the money and he doesn't know where they are. He's ready to just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. the kind of stuff that happened. And uh, so we were able to um, minister together for a while. Um, and he became the padre. Okay, we're talking El Paso, a lot of Hispanic uh, uh, culture there. And so when, whenever the banditos, which are the so-called the top of the heap, they are the, the biggest, most powerful, and the most vicious 1% club in the Southwest. They're, in fact, they are international now. Wow. So they go to war with... Uh, with uh, outlaws, they go to war, war with uh, uh, the banditos. Go to war with uh, uh, hell's angels, Mongols. I mean, it's it's a big it's a big deal. So the deal was is that they started calling him the sergeant at arms, which is the baddest boy on the block in the banditos. He has to be. He has to be able to beat up anybody there. He can't be. He can't be the sergeant in arms to protect their president and have somebody be able to outfight him. So he was a big boy, and he started calling Padre uh, Jr. His Padre. Wow. Okay. Everybody gave him that road name. You get a road name sometimes. You can pick it. Sometimes it's given to you. It's just like being in the military. You know, you get something in boot camp, a name that they put on you, and it sticks. So they called him Padre. Wow. And so when he passed away here uh, in 2018, they had a funeral for him. Who passed and away? Pastor J.R. Yeah. passed away. And there were, no joke, there were 800 bikes, and but there were a lot of people that came in what we call a cage. If you're not on a bike, you're coming to a funeral, you can come in a car, you can come in a wheelchair, we don't care. You're there to pay respects. You don't have to be wearing colors and you don't have to be on a bike. And so there was, um, I want to say without exaggeration, probably a couple of thousand people. Wow. From all over the place. And he showed me a lot of things. And one of the things he showed me that um, it's, it's not like my testimony about salvation, but it's a testimony about how, what do we do then? Okay, we show somebody the Romans road. We explain to them about the resurrection. They they make a commitment to Yeshua. They understand Romans 8, uh, um, uh, 10, 9, and 10, okay? And they get baptized, okay? And they're a biker, all right? And they're in that world. Okay, what are you going to have? You're going to have a big-time chore of discipling with a guy like that. And by the way... Just so you know, and everybody on the call, um, when you have a biker like that who is a full patched rider in one of those clubs, his old lady is also uh, right in there with him. Okay. Right. And and they also play a big role. In fact, most of the problems and trouble between clubs that I've ever been around, it's the old ladies that start the trouble. So you have that as a, as a backdrop, and what JR was showing me was that I could not minister, could keep minister to them without getting burned out and without, without lack in my own life unless I built myself. Yeah, okay, so Patch, we, uh, you, I know you're, you know, we don't want to talk about you, but we want to hear your side of things along with JR. So how did you fall into all that? Weren't you like JR's like right-hand man? I mean, because yeah, for a while, he, he, he wanted to know, you know, biker world. He was a, a total Reuben in the newbie. He didn't know from Sour Owls anything. He just knew 
well, what kind of Harley Davidson is that? And that guy isn't riding a Harley, is he? Well, yeah, but see, Pastor, that's an old knucklehead, and there's no Harley Davidson written on that because it's a custom bike, you know. And so he had to he had to learn how to navigate when you're in a bar, okay? Because bikers, that's where they go when they uh, set up a run. You might have five or six stops. Four of them are going to be bars or pubs or something like that. Yeah. So yeah. he had to learn that. He had to learn what old ladies can do and what they can't do. There's a lot of protocol that, that goes with all of that. that if you don't know, you can get crossways with some people totally innocent, not, you know, just not knowing. Yeah, because there's a lot of structure behind all of that and like a universal language, right, that everybody kind of understands. So he's coming into it anew and fresh, and God's going to use him. And he used you to help him navigate through all that, right? Right. One of the one of the heart in the throat moments was um, there was a nomad that showed up at a meeting. A nomad is a is an unattached to any local MC. He is literally a nomad, and usually a club like the Hell's Angels or the Banditos will call a nomad in. That's part of their club that wears their colors from an out of town place to take care of some very serious. Usually it's a violent, it's a violent outcome some way or another. Yeah. So yeah. they were uh, there at a run and the uh, a guy with the colors on that said nomad came over and uh, JR's wife uh, was there and she was, you know, blah, 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 blah. She's, she's going up to a nomad and she start, starts asking him, um, uh, what happened to you if you die? Do you know? Wow. Okay. That's like that's like walking right up to the dragon and poking him in the eye, right? <laughs> right. And so I'm I'm looking across the room and I'm seeing all kinds of body language that uh oh uh oh the Padres old lady is over there, you know, and uh, she's over there make, trying to make time with a no a nomad. Oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Right? And so. Uh, I just, I prayed and I went up to JR and I said, look, we got to get Carolyn away from this guy. Okay. We got to We got to pull her up. She can't do, she can't do that here. And she can't do that now. She can get, if she can get him to give her any information, she can get a hold of his old lady later. If he has one here, oh, I bet. you can't do that. Like walking up to the Crips and the Bloods and, you know, trying to, trying to make uh, small talk. So um, he learned and he was able to then start his own club called Sword of the Spirit. And this this was after the, the Seed of Abraham thing. Uh, so that nomad that she boldly went up to and asked all that stuff, he, he became that guy? No, no. He was just, he went on with his thing. But I'm saying that J.R., uh, learned enough and picked up enough about it and had enough street cred with all of the other clubs that he was able to start a, a, an MM, a motorcycle ministry called Sword of the Spirit. Oh, great. That's awesome. And so you, that, were you with him in that? How did that get established? I, I wasn't with him in that. Um, I was elected or appointed to be uh, the Confederation of Clubs uh, chairman for that area. And a COC guy is got to be neutral. He's like an ambassador for every club. And it's, it's sort of like, uh, to almost like a peacemaker to keep trouble from happening between clubs and different stuff. And if we can get them to cooperate with, for instance, um, we got a bill passed in Texas. The first one that ever went through both houses of the state of Texas and the governor's desk without a single no vote. And it was our uh, failure to yield right-of-way law that we got past it because people in Texas were, on motorcycles were getting killed because people were ignoring uh, the, the failure to yield right-of-way, which was a $25 fine. Nobody was, you know, encouraged. So we jumped that up to like 4,000 bucks. And if they, the biker got hurt, it was more. And, the, and if the biker got crippled or dead, they could, they could serve jail time. And that was a big deal. 
Yeah. Okay, so yeah. This, the Confederation of Clubs was an organization, and I had to be neutral. So <clears throat> whatever uh, the Padre was up to and what he was doing, we were. I was still at service every, you know, every day or when the doors were open. I went to consecration every Wednesday with the, the men's consecration there. Uh, but as far as out on the street, he was on his own. And he did fabulous. Yahweh blessed him to do things that I would have never tried in a month of Sundays. Because I knew better. He was just, he was just, he's like a baby Christian that just, he'll, he'll go witness to Genghis Khan if he'll stand up. <laughs> Amen. That's awesome. Yeah, so can you touch on that and how that grew um, within the ministry and how you guys did that consecration, right? Because that's going to be something that you're going to be bringing to our Empower group for people to participate in. And uh, it's practical and you can apply it in your everyday life and walk and actually take the word and just apply it to your life, right? That's that's it. Um, there's a lot of different parts to it, but the main thing is I'll go back to what I was saying where took me aside and he said, listen, you gotta you gotta take care of yourself. You gotta build yourself up because when you're ministering to bikers, man, you can get discouraged. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it isn't yeah. like ministering to people. You got a guy that seems like he's open and everything and the next week he kills himself and then you gotta go to the funeral and you gotta minister to the family. And that's not something that just happens once in a blue moon. Right. So like that's not so that's when, not uh, like the normal uh thing that would happen in a i'm getting a lot of feedback <laughs> there we go uh yeah so that's not like the normal thing you would face in a church setting you know and people in your congregation and you know stuff like that this is like serious stuff where you know a guy may have gotten stabbed and his old lady's left hanging and doesn't have any support or you know uh guy crashes doesn't have insurance and stuff yeah so that context is totally different so he was not a normal pastor just saying, well, you need to, you know, you need to do something. He's given me these recommendations and, you know, be well, be one fit and go on. Right. Just, what I want you to do, Pat, he says, I want you to come to this meeting. And he says, nobody's going to, you know, give you the business, uh, but I want you to come to the men's consecration. And it happens every Wednesday morning or not Wednesday, every Monday morning. So I went to the first one, and what it is is every man in that group, in that circle, puts their pants on the same. Just because you're a pastor or a deacon or whatever, no titles, no no status, nothing. We're all believers. We all have needs, and we're all needing to do devotions. And that's the core of consecration, this particular style, where um, you go through, there's a little uh, journal like you know it's a little booklet that you can get uh, and it's not expensive and inside of it it has pages where you can journal what you get in your daily devotions and it encourages you to do them daily and it's got a scripture reading uh, uh, calendar in the in the book little booklet and it will bring it will take you through the scriptures in a year if you a schedule of so many you start in Genesis and go all the way through. Okay, well, so then so everybody else on around the table now are all doing the same thing, and we're we're going through the same scriptures every week. So each day I sit down and do my devotions. I do prayer if I got stuff uh, you know that I need to pray about. There's a place in this little booklet to write down the prayers for who and whatever. And so that booklet became sort of a a good tool. And then what would happen is it would develop into a prayer sheet in the middle of the table for everybody, for the church, for the bikers, for the clubs that were in trouble, for the police, you know, that were trying to uh, cause problems that we were trying to reach out to and, and, and different things that weren't necessarily for me or anybody else around the table, but for the whole, the whole neighborhood, the whole uh, community. So when I started learning how to do that, I really got into the journaling part, and I was able to go through with, the, with these men. And actually, there was a lady there, too. We had a, a, a couple that were uh, retired missionaries, um, husband and wife. And uh, 
I learned how to do consecration. And what happened there was that stuff that he was talking about that I had to minister to myself. I had to take care of myself. I had to build myself up. I was doing scripture memory where I had left it lay. You know, now, now consecration pro provoked me and it encouraged me to memorize certain scriptures because you'd be sitting at the table and you'd go over John 3, 16, 500 times if you've been a believer a long time, right? And one of these old guys, like Skyler, was my favorite guy there. He was an old deacon. He was a retired air conditioning businessman. And uh, he was just he was just a marvel and a blessing. And so he'd go through John 3.16 and he'd say, Well, Patch, do you ever think about it this way? Right? And I I eh, you know, I'd stop. And he he could hit me with stuff. And looking back on it now, it was Rukakadesh using him to point me in a direction. Yeah. Because if something yeah. doesn't, if something, I'm the kind of guy, if something doesn't make sense or I can't figure it out, I say, okay, no more, no more daily. I'm going to take this day. If I got to read John 3, 16, 500 times, I'm going to until I figure out what I'm supposed to get out of this. So uh, I've learned that and it's been a blessing and uh, a, a church is an entity. The congregation are the people. And consecration addresses the people. Right. It addresses their needs. You just They're said something really huge there, though, Brother Patch. You just said something huge. So if you don't get a scripture in your daily devotionals, you're not just going to keep going on to the next devotional. You're going to stay in that place of wrestling until you get what God is trying to tell you in that scripture. So that was huge. I just don't want to glance over that for listeners. You know, it's like God sometimes has you in those wrestling places if you're honest with yourself. So that's that. Oh, if you're like me and you're a hard hit and you're not, you're not, not listening or you're not getting it or no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to look at that scripture that way. Rock um, Hakadesh uh, has a way of wooing us inside of our spirit man or spirit woman that you can't match it with a, a manual or a, a, a program or a, some kind of a special events. I mean, some people go run halfway around the world to try to do, you know, something big for the kingdom. And really, he's there and says, not that way, man. Listen to my still small voice here. And, you know, sometimes I would be a hardhead. Some of the things that uh, JR would show me that I would never have learned any other way because it was coming from a, a biker. He may not have been an experienced one, but he was sincere as you can get. And sometimes I would say, fully, I'll go on to the next scripture, right? And it didn't take long. It was usually, I don't know, 11, 12 days, sometimes a half a month or something. And Skyler would come up to me and said, you know, uh, JR mentioned to me this and that. There was no beat, beating you over the head with anything. It was just a little reminder, a little nudge. And he goes, do me a favor. Uh, he was such an ingratiating person. He said, do me a favor. Just go read it one more time. Will you brother? Just one more time. You know, and then I'd get in there and I'd start doing it and I'm going. I'd write in my in my journal and I'd write and I go, this is ridiculous. I think that 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 that. Okay, when you go to consecration then the next week, everybody's been six days now doing their daily devotions, the same progression of verses. And you get two or three verses, sometimes one. Uh, gives a big long passage in Psalms or something, or gives two little ones, one a piece of Jude and a piece of, you know, uh, maybe Psalms are, uh, that are short. Anyway, so then you go around the table when you first sit down, and everybody, what's she doing this? You know, how you been this week? Uh, how's your wife? She got, you know, her finger injury fixed and all that stuff that you do. And then you sit down, and then oh, you go. The pastor would start at the at the first person on his left. And he'd say, you have anything? And sometimes people would get something in their devotions that they 
wrote in their journal and they would share it with everybody. Well, if we were all chewing the same the same text in the same dirt for the whole week. So that really enhanced it, that like supercharged sometimes, you know, how you could really get into depth about application. Because it's it's called a soap. Yeah. So, yeah, let's talk, let's develop that more because it's huge, right? Uh, Having other people's perspective, we're better together once again as a body of Christ. And if you're all chewing on the same thing, like you said, for a week, you come together and you have 10 different perspectives on the same thing and 10 different things from the same passage that God's pointing out and working on people's life. So it just amplifies it that much more. Very, most of the time it was very synergistic, but it wasn't some big um, Tony Robbins sort of effect. It was very low key. It was very, um, um, it, it just built brotherhood like nothing I'd ever done before. Okay, so the the other thing that happens with consecration that's also important is that you you learn how to apply. Because it's built on a structure you go through, and if you're going to journal, they give you a, a uh, I don't know if you call it a, uh, it's just a, a guide. Yeah, it's, it's a guide. It's, it's a guide. Well, the template is S O A P scripture, observation, application, prayer. Very simple. Say that uh, again. It's called scripture. Uh, observation about that scripture, whatever your observations are. Application, how am I going to apply this? And prayer. And so that's how I structure my soaps, but sometimes I can go four or five pages depending on what's going, but that's me. Okay, That's my thing. Some people don't like writing. Some people don't like journaling. That's fine too. You know, it's very, It's a very flexible format. But what happens is you start learning about your brother across the table. You start knowing when, you know, he comes in there and he's happy as happy to be because he finally figured out what to get his wife for his birthday. Because last week we talked about it. Some of the other men's wives were chipping in their two cents worth. Like, oh, well, we know her. She would probably like something like this or she would probably like something like that different stuff and you became clan it wasn't just brotherhood you developed into clan where you know we all had each other's backs and then the high end uh, that I learned with JR to take it even further is what's called a triad and a triad is where you are you are have th- three brothers that really hit it off and they can be prayer partners together they can call each other at three o'clock in the morning, uh, that stuff. Yeah, and we got that. You know, we got that from the Knights of Malta because they learned how to fight in a group of three men dressed up in their total armor, the full armor, and they would get, and they would fight back to back, and they could wade out into uh, a vast horde of Islamic jihadists that were bent on killing them, and as long as they kept their backs together. There was no way they could be they could be compromised, and they could go all day and all night. Right. So it comes from a place of uh, developing that relationship with each other and with God. Going through that, you develop a close knit relationship, and you have each other's back, and you stand in the gap for each other when you need it. And uh, yeah, God just does amazing things there. And sometimes. Uh, it didn't happen often, but JR would be out ministering someplace, and then you disappear. With bikers, you never know what's going to happen. Okay, and if if something presents itself that you didn't talk about when you when you left to go minister at a hospital, for example, and it leads you to go to an orphanage or I don't know the police station, it doesn't matter. You're not where you thought you were going to be, and nobody knows where you are. Okay, all, all Carolyn had to do is say, JR's out there someplace, Pat, can you go find him? And I, I go to prayer and I could just about tell where he would have been because I, I knew where he started out 
I could go and talk to the people. I'd go back to the hospital and I'd say, he was here, yeah. Just a few questions and I could just about track where I could find him. Okay. That's the kind of thing that develops when you have clan because you get to where you know each other. And it can be a real pain in the neck because those people can also tell you when you're screwing up and you ain't getting, when you're not going to get around those guys. Yeah, like, hey, bro, you know what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, they hold you accountable, and that's a good thing, man. Yeah, it's like, hey, bro, you're messing up bad, and uh, you need to wake up. Most of the time, it wasn't like that, though. It was just like, you know, it's like I just described with uh, with with uh, Skyler. He said, would you just go read it again? A little soft nudge, no, no big, you know, yeah that's amazing <clears throat> so yeah i'm looking forward we got to get you some headphones so we can uh keep that feedback down but man what you're saying that's that sounds amazing i'm looking forward to people developing in that as you bring that forward for people to share together and to have each other's backs right and hold each other accountable but like you said do it in love you know because we've all been there. We've all have our car shortcomings, you know, but it's about progress. It's about progressing in it, you know? Well, and there you go. See, how many, how many new pastors have you known in your life that just stepped into uh, a pulpit somewhere? And one of the first things that they run into right away is, I don't know these people. How do I disciple these people? Okay, what do you do? Well, with Empower, that's what we've got. We've got a global bunch of people that are are being, I see they are being wooed by Ruach HaKadosh. They're being woken up to the fact that the, the world is messed up because the devil is really the, you know, it's not a fairy tale. He's the one that's making the mess, okay? And he has an arch enemy, and that is our king. And that we got Catholics, we got metaphysical people, we've got chakra people, we've got Hindus, we've got, all, you know, just name something. But they're coming to us, and you can hear it. You can hear it in their voices. I can hear it in my heart that they, they have a lack. They have a hole in something. They have a, a, a need that they just don't even know how to express. But they know, hey, this gives me hope. Hey. You know, I can I can get answered. People will actually pray for me right there with me in front of everybody else. And they don't care, you know, and they don't embarrass me. And they don't, you know, all that stuff. So here's the deal. When I get to it, I'm going to be writing up the consecration instructions. Because consecration sounds like a big to-do. It's not. It's like if I was to go out to the average playground and find me nine kids that wanted to play baseball but never played baseball in their life. Right. It only take me 20 minutes to show them there's three. There's four bases. This is home plate. You get three strikes. You get four balls. You know, that. Uh, Consecration is like that. But then what you got to do is practice. So I'm going to put the I'm going to put together the instructions, and you can do the consecration right there where you're at. Or you can do it with these tools we got and have a consecration group that's got guys from all over. As long as they got the technology. You don't yeah, have to so, be yeah, so. it. Although that is the best. Yeah, so uh, I just speaking from my own uh, personal experience with that, it's like I knew a lot of the legal side of how these things operate and how it works in the spirit world right but coming into empower and what cal teaches and what cal brought to light is how it's manifesting in the physical like how all these legal things on earth i knew they're attached to the spirit realm and i know how the spirit realms uh legal legal side operates but then how these guys are using it to manipulate the earth the whole world and all the systems so i mean it just put the cards and the pieces together for me and so that's where we have a lot of members at you know and whatever pieces they're missing you can come together under a global community where people are coming together in love to search for the truth so it's it's really amazing and i look forward to look forward to getting uh, your uh 
devotional in there, getting the consecration in there. And it sounds like you said, it sounds like a big thing, but it's not, uh, it's not, not a hard thing. It just sounds, sounds like a big word and like something that, you know, we're all like that when we get something new, when you approach anything new, it's kind of like that. It's like, Oh gosh, what am I getting myself into? <laughs> but it's not that big of a thing and it's really practical and I can't wait uh, to see it get started. I'm excited about it. Well, the, the next step up from just getting your group going and getting all of those things is now you practice. So I give you the bat and the ball and the bases and the gloves and you go and you do it. And then you're going to run into change. <coughs> and you're going to call me and I'm going to say, gee, I don't know. I wasn't there. But I can also say, but you could look at this and you could look at that. Once you have a little bit of experience, you know, you can, you can help. But here's my exciting thing about all of that. What I see for uh, our um, Revelation 18 congregation is the people that are coming that have no background. They don't, they were never discipled. They were never, some of, many of them are not even believers yet. <laughs> okay. So then you have somebody that like, I led this lady to, to Yeshua once, and I've never heard from her. That's been bothering me, but. It's up to Yahweh because if people are not going to come back and, and that's up to them. There's nobody pushing anybody's arm. However, what it does do, bro, is it gives you a means that's really you show people how to do that. So you show people how to be in the scriptures. You show them how to write their stuff down and learn how to ask questions and know that they, no question is, is too stupid, okay, that they're accepted. They start to become edified, okay, they start becoming equipped, little here, little there, line upon line, precept upon precept, and they end up getting disciples. And it's not a prepackaged program thing where you got a 12-week course and, you, you know, I mean, I'm going through one of those right now. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's nothing like that. It's experience. It's experiencing it for yourself. So that's what God intended, right? It's not things like and the cool thing is with all those backgrounds like that's like the best place to start because most of the time <clears throat> you got people that have all kinds of preconceived notions and stuff and it's it's very good to start with a blank slate or you know coming coming from out of religion where you've been hurt and you've been wounded <clears throat> and betrayed and i mean it's totally not what god wants he wants you to experience him for yourself and so what you're giving people is a community of people that want to do the same thing together and growing together for experiencing God for themselves, but then also be surrounded by people that are doing the same thing. So you can share each other's experiences and grow in that. And that's, that's a fabulous aspect because it's not, well, you, you'll be all right. Bikers would come with me and, the, and I would tell them four or five times before we were, I was taking them to, to, service for the first time. Settle down, Sammy, man. It's going to be all right. You're with me, okay? The Padre is running the whole show. He's the prez. And you say that kind of stuff to a biker, they go, oh, okay, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll risk it. But here's the other thing that happens. When that kind of discipling happens through consecration, I've never seen any other way. And that's that people who don't come from Catholicism or Lutheranism or whatever the big to-do is that they have the experience or the negative experience, okay, they start becoming apologists because they're learning it direct from the scriptures themselves. And when somebody says something, they don't want to have to run to Bishop so-and-so to find out if that's a bunch of who you're not. They can go back into their journal, okay, and, hey, we, we journaled about that back in April or whatever. All they got to do is look into their schedule on their little booklet, and they can find out where in the where in the, uh, the chronology of their year with their consecration group. They may not have already been through the consecration for a year yet, but they'll say, "Well, uh, the bishop said that's and so, but uh, he was talking about this." And I went and looked it up, and you know what? I thought that I didn't understand that. I didn't understand why I got that scripture and what those other guys around the table were telling me, but now I do. And then 
that guy goes back to the person that was giving them the brief and says, this is what I found in my consecration. We talked it over and we prayed about this. And this is the scripture right here. Uh, if, you, if you want me to keep putting up with listening to you and your nonsense, I want you to explain this to me. Here's the question right there. And just having that, being able to have a question, being able to know what you're asking, figure out how you're going to present, all of a sudden, guess what happens? You get confidence. And here's what else happens. That guy can also go out and he's seen as competent. And he might only be a believer for three months. Okay. But he's got that support. He's got that confidence. He's that, that got that competence. And he's probably got that new baby believer's fire. It just, you know, it's just about camp. You can pull yeah, it's contagious. Him. It's contagious, man. That's amazing. Yeah, so um, thank you for coming on, Brother Patch. Uh, we got to get going because uh, we got other stuff going on today, and I'm sure you do too. Thank you for being gracious with your time and coming on uh, the channel here, Get Closer, and I hope it ministers to some people, and I, uh, I'm i excited to get your uh, consecration in there and get that going. There's going to be a lot of other things going on, but I'd encourage you to uh, take part in that consecration that's going to be huge in the days ahead and like patch says get your own confidence going in god in yourself and you knowing him for yourself and experiencing it going to those experiential realms where it's not just head knowledge right so i'm, I'm looking forward to it brother thank you and uh you want to close us out in prayer or we can both pray i just i ask you to be um, vibrant and be our supernatural champion in the mess that all of us are dealing with different parts of it. There's a lot of fear out there, Father. There's a lot of people who are just they, they, they don't have any hope that they can see their way through anything. Please show them your might and this close to everybody in the sound of this voice the brightness of your glory because the resurrection trumps all of that stuff. I pray, Father, that you bring them to your heart and that they will be reconciled with their daddy because you are all of our daddy, Father. And if people are estranged from you, I pray that they would be reconciled, however that needs to happen. And if we need to step in and provide something or participate in that, show us what it is. And We'll look forward to hearing back the fabulous results next time in the name of Yeshua. So be it. <laughs> Amen. You guys have a blessed weekend. Thank you again, Brother Patch. Until next week, stay blessed, stay humble, and stay in your word. So be it. <laughs>